Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. Today, we sit down with Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting. Ben is a leadership and career coach, talent development executive, values geek, international speaker, online course instructor, and the podcast host of The Executive and the Live For Yourself Revolution. From empowering professionals to get unstuck, to guiding senior leadership on how to stand out from the competition, develop executive presence, and feel confident in being a leader, Ben is an expert in his field and will guide you towards truly living for yourself at work and in life. In this episode, we talk about the culture of fear that is growing in the tech world due to mass layoffs and career uncertainty. We talk about how to reframe your personal and professional story, and we discuss why acceptance is so necessary as we develop our career year after year. If you like the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes, or share this episode with a friend or leave us a comment on YouTube so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. That's all for the intro. Now let's dive into this week's conversation with Dr. Benjamin Ritter. All right, Dr. Benjamin, thank you for joining us today. Very excited to chat with you about fear and layoffs and everything that's going on in the world right now, which is pretty pretty wild, <laughs> pretty wild in the tech world right now for people. Um, as we kick things off, I'd love for you to just give us a little bit uh, of an insight into your background, the work you do, and then we can dig into this topic of, you know, living in an environment of fear when layoffs are so rampant in the world today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And ooh, it is very fearful environment, that is for sure. I talk with a lot of individuals and they are very uncomfortable when it comes to work and the question marks that surround them when it comes to their future at work. But just as a reminder, this is always the case. It's nothing new, it's just more in the media. And within my career itself, this was nothing new. I have had a very turbulent career path that has led me to where I am today. And I think it's actually one of the main reasons why I'm passionate about helping people create careers that they can fall in love with and be kind of responsible, right? Accountable and have permission to do what they want to do for their career. So I uh, currently uh, work with senior leaders and help them develop their professional brands, create, curate executive presence, and then leverage that to create whatever it is they want to create in terms of getting a new job or launching a business, really anything that leads to career fulfillment. And this all started because I was a healthcare executive surrounded by leaders that were pretty authoritative, uh, pretty biased, pretty negative, honestly, to be around to the point where people would be coming into my, I want to say office, but I had an office for a few months when someone left, but I mainly had a cubicle. I don't know if if you have worked in the cubicle or not before, if that's still a thing, oh, yeah. but 
cubicles yeah when you push your chair back and kind of hit the wall and then people can just walk up and, and start talking to you yeah i was next to the uh, i was next to the snack table so i don't think i ever got any work Ooh. done <laughs> and i also gained a lot of weight but you gotta love a cubicle yeah, like, world it's a really good thing but also terrible when you're disengaged at work because then everyone mm -hmm. is going to come up and start talking to you and i remember when i was pretty disengaged at that job i tried to avoid conversations as much as possible to the point where I would peer around a corner to see if someone was there so oh, that I didn't, you know, didn't have to actually like talk to them and ask them how their day was and what they'd been working on. And I hated having a cubicle so because there's one person, one of the VPs that would always just come up and start talking to me. And it was just, there's nowhere for me to go. I was locked in, <laughs> uh, but, but the people, people would come up basically crying because of something that one of our VPs or executives said, and I was the one that would help them deal with it. And you know, other than the fact that I didn't respect our leadership, which is pretty much a recipe to start disliking your job. I also didn't feel like I chose where I ended up. And when I say that my career was a little turbulent, you know, I wasn't kidding. So that, that, in that organization, we went through, through two CEOs, but prior to that, I got, I was, I was promoted into the position I was in. I had four different bosses. We were acquired twice. Uh, prior to that, I spent two and a half years looking for a full-time job with four different job offers, all canceled after I would receive the job offer itself. Lovely recession where federal funding got taken away um, or was given and then taken away consistently. Prior to that, I had a major that I was interested in working in and they canceled my major halfway through school. And then prior to that, I wanted to, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Honestly, it was my first ever career other than astronaut and archeologist, but <laughs> those kid, kid roles don't count. Uh, and I lost my, I lost that opportunity through a variety of reasons, uh, but didn't, wasn't from a lack of trying. I lived in London for six months, played there, but ended up with hip surgery a day before my 21st birthday and a lot of other disappointments that occurred and so lost my brand identity. So pretty much up to the point where I was like, if we were to fast forward now back to when I was a healthcare executive, everything in my career was pretty much a disappointment. And so now I'm seeing everyone else be disappointed in their careers too. So my, my definition of a career was that you don't control it and that you just take what you can get and you skate by trying not to work, taking your paycheck so you could go and do whatever you wanted to do. Lo and behold, that led to a pretty, pretty terrible lifestyle and a pretty negative environment to live in on a daily basis. And luckily I woke up, I was like a moment I was walking into work and I was looking at everybody and I was dreading the day and I realized, Hey, everybody else seems to be dreading the day. This doesn't make sense. Why are we doing this with our time? Let's do something about it. And so I sat back and you probably you know, do this as well, You've done this for yourself and with clients, you do a career audit. What do I love? What do I hate? What do I, what do I want to do in the future? Who do I want to work with? What challenges do I want to face, et cetera, et cetera, which led me down the path of, I want to fix leadership. I want to fix people like me that are high achievers that aren't being aren't actually being used and are disengaged when they should be engaged. And I have a background in coaching and this, this, these like three areas or these areas around coaching, talent development, leadership development can all intertwine. And how do I do that? And so that led me to take accountability for my career, find a path to go down because a couple of them didn't work. And that eventually led to me creating my own company, getting my doctorate. And I've been working internal in organizations too within this, within this realm in talent development, leadership development. It's incredible. And as you've been working with people, 
I think one of the things that I find so interesting and going back to what you said earlier about the impact of media, um, you know, how discomfort at work and worries about the future, like this is always the case. It's the case for you. It's the case for me. It's the case for so many people. And, you know, there's a, a huge range of experiences that people have. But what I tend to find um, more and more recently is that people's experience of work is being informed by headlines and, you know, that little that little news section on LinkedIn on the top right hand side, which used to give like helpful tips for things, but has slowly become this just you know, log in to get a job and feel shitty about the state of the world <laughs> in a way. And I'm curious, like, how how have you seen, like, even just headlines, like, one day, you know, hiring's up, the next day hiring's down, the next day hiring's up, and people will come to me and they'll be like, you know, I can't get a job in this economy. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I went through 2010, I went through all these different things. Like, the, there's cycles here. But our behaviors should remain consistent despite what's happening out there. And I'm curious, how have you seen the impact of media affect your clients? And how do you help them think through these things so that they can maybe get to a better place or put up blockers or whatever the thing might be? There are benefits to the headlines sometimes. Like if companies believe that there's a talent war and everyone's talking about a talent war, you can get more money for the job that you're looking to get. You can get more money in terms of a promotion. But then you get into situations where everyone that took higher salaries might be getting let go because companies kind of dug their own graves, or maybe you're now the most expensive person in your organization. You're getting paid for more than the value of your work and your company recognizes that and decides that you're also not worth the amount you're getting paid anymore either. So just like in any market, you know, even the, the housing market is a, is a good example too, you can get caught up you can actually make your situation worse by trying to play the headlines to your advantage. And to use another example, like in the stock market, day traders, you know, that's their full-time job. They're day traders. And so they can make money by playing headlines. If you're looking for a long-term investment and you try to be a day trader, you're going to lose on your investments. Same thing when it comes to your career. If you're trying to job hop or act in a way that isn't aligned with headlines, you're going to lose in, in the long run. So if you operate from a place of fear because of certain headlines, or if you operate from a place of I'm the, I'm so valuable right now, I'm going to do whatever I can to make more money and jump and hop, hop around. That's great for the short term, but it's going to really hurt your long term play. So I would highly recommend that people that are interested in developing in their career, get out of the headlines. So yes, that means don't spend hours scrolling on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has become like the the Instagram of the professional network where long form posts about something that's sad and tries to be inspirational or selling something or clickbait clickbaity headlines around layoffs and fear mongering because you know it's the silent majority it's the people it's the you know the small percentage of individuals on LinkedIn that are actually using it to post most people are just scrolling and reading so get out of the headlines don't watch the news the news is absolutely terrible and start creating your own story for your career, whatever you want that to be, which means what's your vision? What are your goals? What are you working on? How is what you're working on today helping you lead yourself towards it? So honestly, it's just getting out of the muck and 
some people may say that, hey, you're not going to be aware of the important things that are going on. And I say, well, you will be aware of the important things because someone will tell you about them. <laughs> and everything else that you're reading isn't that important. Yeah, it's it. I, I've gotten that in the past because I very much try to avoid the news at all costs. And it is shocking how much I still know. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't watch the Kardashians, but I know way too much. I don't know how I know it. I don't know where I learned it, but I know a whole bunch of stuff. I can't get any of their names right, but that's <laughs> but I know things that are happening. And that's such a great thing uh, to keep in mind. And it also ties back into what you were saying when you did an audit of your own career, right? You had to you were just sort of you know, going with the flow, taking what came to you, right? And then at a certain point, you have to stop and say, wait, 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 who's writing this story? Am I writing this story? Or am I just participating in the story someone else is writing? And so how, how have you seen people take back control of their personal and professional stories, and utilize that in order to get themselves to a place of more confidence, or just even a better situation, a better job? Great question and great points. I'd really just have to ask everyone listening to let's just drop the belief around the fact that the current economic situation dictates the opportunities that are available in the market. Someone is always hiring. And I'm not talking about the job boards. I'm talking about building relationships at companies that truly interest you. But you're not going to who you think is hiring or who's the loudest in the marketplace or the top 10 list of companies that are still hiring. You're actually putting in some effort into, into saying, and this is where our stories come in, in that career audit, to sit back and say, what are my strengths? What have I learned? Most importantly, what do I want to learn moving forwards? What am I truly passionate about? And how do those intersect? And then how does your story prior to this, so your previous career experiences, the projects that you've worked on, how do they prove that you're credible to work in this space? Because we all can prove that we're credible depending on how we want to tell the story. And then how do we then change the headline instead of, you know, you are XYZ title now and change the headline to you are whatever title you want to be next. Like, for example, I work with a lot of individuals that say, you know, I, I want to move into a leadership role, but I have no leadership experience. And I, and so what is your story? Let's find the story where you have been a leader and have expressed those traits of being a leader. Now call yourself a leader, present yourself as a leader instead of presenting yourself as someone that wants to be a leader. So when we take control of our story, it's truly understanding what we've experienced and framing it in a way that represents the brand that we want to be next, not who we are today or who we are, we were yesterday. And that might be a little too high level for your question. Maybe you want to get a little bit more specific and give some instructions, but hopefully that adds a little bit more context. It absolutely does. And, you know, this idea of owning what you want to be versus being limited by what you were is such a big thing that comes up in all the conversations as coach as you know you and i both come across on a daily basis but i don't think people people are so it, it's kind of nice to be a coach because we get to see like the curtain pulled back on so many people right you get this you know 
executive level person and you get to see all the neuroses behind the scenes, but that's not what anyone else sees, right? When they go to work, they're not showing up the way they show up to you or me, right? They're showing up the way that they've been showing up to get that salary and that status that they have. And it's so interesting to talk to people when they don't feel good about their personal story, because they're always comparing it to someone whose story they're imagining. And I think I was listening to some comedy podcast and uh, the person was complaining about how everyone, you know, is calling them an overnight success. And they were just like, you have no idea how many awful crappy clubs I was doing comedy in for the last 25 years before I even got this like small amount of success <laughs> and, and it just all gets negated or turned into a montage in the movie. Right. It's like not what people focus on. And I think what's so interesting about what you're saying here is like we, in our personal lives, we're so close to the struggle and we're so aware of what we're not good at. And then when we look at other people, we don't see any of the struggle and we don't see half of what they're bad at um, or any of their insecurities. And so we're juxtaposing our insecurities to other people's polished exteriors, right? We're our, our insecure interiors to their polished exteriors. And that that kind of plays into the media thing because it's all stories at the end of the day, right? And when you... When you're talking about story here, whether it's your own story or helping people rewrite their their stories, what are maybe the elements of our stories that we should be, or maybe we can get into the weeds a little bit more. How can we reframe different parts of our stories? Because I tend to find, whether it's imposter syndrome or just like, just the way our society is organized to make you feel like you need to be doing more, you're not doing enough or whatever it might be people's stories are really, really negative. It could also just be the bias of I'm a coach. So I talk to people who are always in the hardest point, but you know, what, what are you seeing as like the big elements that we can reframe in our stories in order to build a little bit more confidence in order to be a little bit more fearless in order, in order to, you know, show up a little bit stronger in our job search and in our, in our career path. Oh, that lovely voice in our head, the story that we tell ourselves of who we are and what we're capable of and the fact that we're comparing ourselves to others. By the way, anyone listening, Martin's super right. The highest level executive is sitting in his office doubting his own success, comparing himself to someone else he saw on LinkedIn posting about their CEO journey. Everyone is, anyone that you think is successful has a little voice in their head that tells them that they're not they just are deciding if they want to listen to it or not right if, if certain people listen to it more certain people allow that voice to dictate their actions so for example i can't tell you how many people I'll, I'll talk to in our first client session and we'll be discussing how they're applying for jobs and they'll tell me how long it takes to apply to a job and i go how, you know why does it take you so long and like well first i have to decide if it actually is the right job for me to apply to so i check all the bullets and i read the the requirements and i check my resume and then i'm not sure sometimes like i don't know if i really want to work for the organization so i go to their website and i explore and i'm like well can i really fit in here is this something really that i could be a part of am i good enough for this like hold on a second talk about a level of investment 
that screams self-doubt. Now you have to be attacking the job market as if you are amazing, if people would be lucky to have you, and that the the job description itself doesn't matter if it has the right title. Like just go apply. Like look at your level of investment to the level of out like to to what the what the outcome is gonna be. You know, you don't know if someone's gonna call you up. If someone calls you for an interview, then put a little bit more investment in taking a look at what the job description says. But we tend to talk ourselves out of opportunities because of our self-doubt, because of our comparison to others, and because of our stories. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that we don't know anyone else's story and that we are unique in every single way. That there is not another one of us, even if you're a twin, you still are living different experiences. You are unique in your own right. So any twins listening, which would be kind of cool. And knowing your story is, and believing your story and understanding your uniqueness can really, and let's add this, knowing what you care about and what you're working towards and what you prioritize can then help you be more confident. Because what tends to happen is people, they tell themselves a story about how they're not good enough. So they're focused on the past, when instead they need to focus on the future, what their vision is, what they're working towards, what they're prioritizing, and then tell their story based on that. Again, there's a little bit of a theme here of focusing on the future, not other people, and not the past. You are who you are today because of the things you've prioritized. The things you've prioritized matter to you for a reason. Why did they matter, and what would you like to prioritize in the future? Other people did not prioritize the things that you've prioritized or had to make the exact decisions that you've had to make or had this, the environment that you were in or had, or had the same starting line that you had. And no one else's story matters because you are working towards something specific. But too often people don't know what they're working towards. And so then they doubt their story. And so getting wrapping this all up, wrapping the soapbox moment up for a moment, it's if you know what you are working towards first step, step one, and then you review your story to understand how you are going to be successful in working towards it or what you need to work on, then you will believe in your story because you see a path forwards. So I'll pause there. I love it. And it really does, um, it does play into this fear piece, right? Because fear brings up the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn responses, right? And those stress responses or trauma responses or whatever they might be, um, they're based in our experiences. They're they're informed by things we've experienced in the past or seen in the past or things we've been told in the past. And, you know, it also plays into that idea of, it takes like five positives to overcome a negative or whatever those cliches are that are out there. I think they say in leadership, it's seven to one now. Oh, it's seven to it's one now. Seven Boy. positive remarks to one critical remark. That is a number that I, I even would struggle with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think we also, one thing I've noticed is a lot of times especially as we become more and more remote, it's like you just don't have as many of those small positive interactions with people. And so one one negative thing can really be shocking because you don't have those like 
you haven't built the context for it. And I think a lot of what you're talking about here is building the context for our story, building the context for our career. We're just too close to it sometimes. And I, and when you say like, just go apply, this is something that came up recently as I was talking to someone, they were like, how do I be more efficient in my job search? I'm spending all this time applying to these jobs and filling out the extra form that they make you fill out and all these different things. And, and yes, those things are annoying, right? Um, but there's almost two sides to what people are struggling with here. One is the internal view of themselves and one is the external view of the process. And there's a lot of thinking around like, it should be better. HR should be better. Recruiters should be better. This process should be more efficient. And companies shouldn't take so long to get back to you. And companies shouldn't ghost you. And all these things, right? And I agree in theory with all of this stuff, right? Yes, it should be better. Everything should be better, right? But it's not. And the reason it's not is because we're messy. We're humans. We're screwed up. We're, we're flawed, you know, and one of the issues when we're looking internally is we see all of our screwed up flaws, but then when we look externally, again, we see that polished professional exterior and we don't see anyone else's flaws. And then when we apply to things, we're trying to cover up our flaws as much as we can and put forth that even if we don't feel confident, we're trying to pretend fake it till you make it, whatever it is. And then when the company is flawed, we like take it almost as a personal slight because we're trying so hard. How come they're not trying so hard? And there's this like, we need to be putting in even effort, but that's just not how it is when you're talking to a company, right? And I just find it so interesting and frustrating and all sorts of different aidings, right? But it's it's this expectations, I think, lead to a lot of the issues. The expectation that you should be better the expectation that they should be better, the expectation that this process should be different. And there's this level of acceptance that I think we need to move through in order to even get to the point where we can start giving ourselves some credit for what we've done. And I'm curious, how have you seen acceptance play into your work or play into these conversations? Yeah, so bring me back to acceptance if I forget about it, but I have to comment mm -hmm. on something that you said. Sure applying to a job is not trying. Like, let's be very clear about that. Going online, going to LinkedIn, doing an easy apply. I don't care how much effort you put on your resume and your cover letter or your LinkedIn profile, applying to a job on a job board is not trying. That is what everybody is doing. And too often I will work with someone who goes, well, here's this job I really want to apply for for the past three and a half weeks. I'm really excited to work with you because I'm excited to apply for it and get my stuff in order. And I go, well, what have you done to make sure that you're a candidate for that role? And they're like, well, I, I want to make sure that everything that I do to apply is perfect. And I go, so you are going to wait a month to apply for a job that might already have its final candidates, you don't know, to then be one of the 2,000 people that applied. And it boggles my mind and this is, it makes sense though. That's why we have jobs, right? It's why career coaches exist. It's why leadership coaches exist. It's understanding the, the rules of the game. If you want a job so bad, prove it to me. 
contact people that work there, go to their locations. If they're local, knock on the door, go talk to someone, build a relationship, highlight, find an article that they're in or something they're struggling with and do a mini project and submit it to them. Like all these types of things you can do to build a relationship and show your interest for something. You know, we also think about like dating. If you, if you find someone that you're interested in dating, do you go over there and, and say, you know, I want to go out with you. And they say, no, you say, okay, that's it. And you walk away. What if you believe that person was the love of your life? Would you go back up to them to the next day and say, Hey, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Like how much effort would you put into that? Or what if you, there was a, a million dollar check, you know, or like I think about the, uh, the sword and the stone, right? If you knew that pulling out that sword was going to make you king of the world, how much effort or queen of the world, how much effort would you spend trying to pull that sword out of the stone? And it's just, I, I don't think that we, understand that we can change our success rates if we're willing to put in a little bit more effort. Uh, okay. That was a, a side comment I had to say, and I know we no, I think we're going to talk well, about we'll, acceptance. We'll swing, we'll swing back around to the acceptance piece, yeah. but it is part of this. Like, so there's acceptance is such a big thing and it can show up in a lot of different ways. So I do want to touch on that. Um, but this idea of putting in the effort, um, I think there's, there's, this brings up, and this is also an acceptance piece, but it brings up a lot of interesting mindsets that I see as I'm talking to people, right? Because, or even as I'm just looking at content online. So if you go online, there's a lot of different schools of thought. There's the school of thought of like, you know, everyone should be an entrepreneur. Even if you're working full time, go build your thing on the side. We've got the um, we've even had on the podcast, uh, you know, overemployed where it's like, you're working remote, get two jobs and work both of them and like try and work the system. And then there's like, you know, the quiet quitting approach, which is like, just put in the, whatever the bare minimum is in order to get the job done and go home and do your thing. And all these different schools of thought exist and they exist because there's so many different types of people. And sometimes when I'm working with people, um, you know, there's the ambitious leaders that are highly driven. And of course, they're going to be the ones that go above and beyond and do that, do that work. And then there's people who are maybe ambitious and driven, but they're so scared of networking that they have to find other ways to do it, right? They can't just reach out to people cold. Um, even though they're at like a senior level at a company, they still struggle with that. And then I have people who are like, you know, I'm later in my career I just want to have like a decent enough job. Right. And I think there's actually a really big pool of people who are like, I just want to have a decent enough job to go in and not be like bullied and collect a paycheck and let it fund my life, you know, work to live, not live to work kind of a thing. And, and there's this interesting thing that happens where Yes, if you're trying to get a job at Google, of course, go kill yourself, you know, trying to like impress them, right? But if you're trying to get a job at mom and pop startup with five employees, and they're going to pay like, you know, 40k under the market rate, because they're a startup, and I do air quotes on that. Um, how much effort are you going to expend on some of these things that like, I would putting myself in the mindset of the job seeker. It's like, they don't deserve it. Right. Like that, that's what people would say. They don't deserve my effort. And, and, and sometimes you put in all that effort and then they don't even respond. Right. And so to do that over and over, it's almost like 
you're writing love letters, like to use the dating example, you're writing these love letters to people and they're not even opening them. And I think that's where people are getting really burnt out. Um, and, and where I see the complexity of the job search just destroy people because back in the day, you know, you wrote a cover letter because you were literally sending in a letter or a fax that needed a cover page. And now why are we even doing like, why do we have a cover letter? We know they don't read it. It takes a lot of time. It's very weird. It's like a weird letter. It doesn't make sense. And then, um, and then they hear from like a career coach, you know, you should be building with these relationships with people in the company. And it's like, you know, I had someone who applied to the same company like 20 times and I was before they talked to me and I was like, you are never going to work there. You are blacklisted from that company because you did go above and beyond, but it came off as like too much, you know? And so finding that balance, I think is where it's tough for people because on the one hand, I agree with you fully. You got to put in the effort. You got to go beyond the easy apply. But on the other hand, you know, there's how much time do you invest in each single company? It's it's kind of what you said earlier. It's like um, someone spends all this time wondering whether or not they should apply for this job versus just applying, you know, or spending all this yeah. time wondering, should I reach out to this person to network? And I'm like, reach out to everyone. You're only going to hear back from like maybe 30, 40% of them. So if they have the title you want, say hello. And then like- confirm it after the fact oh that was a shitty conversation that was a great conversation who knows you're not going to find out till later um versus putting like and that's the same with like dating it's like go on lots of dates to see who is the right person yep. don't sit like don't put your list together first and then like no one can live up to your list right so i don't know it's it's a messy thing because i there's so much that i agree with and then there's so much that i see as like a challenge for people and you know it's it's just different person by person, but I'm curious, I'm throwing a lot at you here. Um, but <laughs> when we're trying to understand and play the rules of the game, because this is a game, how do we learn the rules and then play them well? Because what I think people want yep. is to customize the game to themselves. And that's just not how it works. Yeah, it's what is the payoff from this action? And so, for example, applying to a job on a job board, a low payoff, usually pretty low investment if you're, if you're doing it right, which is you have a good resume, you have a good LinkedIn profile, you're not worried about making a cover letter specific, and you're just applying. And if I hope organizations are learning, if they make you rewrite your, your, your resume, you're probably not applying. <laughs> so... And so, okay, so we know that there's a low payoff when I apply for a job online, even if I have a really good toolkit. Now, connection requests on LinkedIn, uh, decent chances that they're going to say yes if you don't write a very long, like, invitation. So let's decrease the amount of investment it takes from you, increase the chance that it's going to be a good payoff if someone does connect and, re and responds to maybe your first message. And the message that you're sending is something that you copy-paste. And you know that it works well because you've done your research on what messages people respond to. It's specific, it's niche, et cetera. So, okay, again, less effort, big payoff. And our expectations are most of the time, someone's not going to reply to me. Same thing is most of the time, someone's not going to ask me for an interview. But let's say that I really want to work in the psychedelic industry. So 
for this is actually a true story for myself. I really want to get involved in the psychedelic industry. And I have two examples you'll use. So for the psychedelic industry, I have two podcasts. I'm going to use my podcasts as leverage to go give a platform to executives in the psychedelic industry so I can learn about their work and their organization. So I know if I can get these guys on my podcast, big payoff, big relationship. I help them, they help me. I get 45 minutes of my time with them. So I'm investing that time and energy. I'm going on LinkedIn. I'm targeting all the psychedelic companies. I'm sending all the connection requests. I'm sending all the messages. And lo and behold, I've interviewed two to three different CEOs and executives within the psychedelic space. So that's worked. Another example is I really wanted to get some deal flow in consumer packaged goods. I wanted to be an investor in better for you health products. And I didn't know how to do that. And so I started going to networking events. I started, I connected with people that were on different boards and advisors, but now again, I'm not investing a lot of time upfront. Not at all, because this is the initial step. I just want to build connections. So a lot of people didn't respond. Some people did, it led nowhere. And then lo and behold, one of the newsletters I'm a part of, they sent out a free mentoring. They were looking for free mentors for the minority business owner track. So they needed people to help out minority owned businesses as a mentor. Great, you know what? I've mentored for the past decade. I mentored a lot of companies. I applied, I got in, big time investment, big time investment. So, but what's the payoff? Building relationships with people at an incubator that I wanna have deal flow in. Guess what happened? I did, ment I did mentoring for, for two different cohorts. I then qualified as an investor. I got accepted as a mentor in the official cohort. I now have deal flow with a bunch of portfolio companies. Now, so I, I weighed what level of effort do I need to put in for a payoff for, for, this, for this thing to actually matter to me? And so if someone is interested, let's say in a certain industry, or let's say they're interested in like Nike, you know, I really wanna work for Nike. Great, you think you wanna work for Nike. What you really wanna do is work for an athletic-based apparel company. Okay, so now go do all that outreach and all that job applications for any apparel-based, right, uh, athletic, kind of focused organization to build relationships. Cause I also bet you, if you talk to someone at Adidas, they probably know someone at Nike. Mm -hmm. And so, and so then you start off with a very low effort. And then when you start building relationships, you increase the level of effort that you put into things. So I'd say there's, I, I don't want to tell people like do everything for and, and overwhelm people and get blacklisted. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like be directed at least in the efforts that you're putting in and weigh what's the payoff and how much should I invest in this action at, at that time too. I love that. And it's, it really is this process. And I think, I think it is, it comes back to the fear piece. Like, why don't people do it? And I'll just look at myself. Like I have really bad anxiety. So I have like periods of my career where I've been amazing at this stuff. And I've had periods of my career where I'm like, well, you know, post pandemic, I'm, I, there just doesn't seem to be any, I know there are things out there, but it just doesn't seem to be as much out there. These is just like cozy up, right? <laughs> just kind of, um, and as I talk to people, yeah, the comfort and fear and comfort creates more fear, right? Because the less exposure we have, the more difficult it is to re-enter those spaces, right? Because we're, we have too much distance. And so one of the things I was chatting about with someone recently and it was such an interesting question that she asked is, uh, you know, she she got a job offer and she's waiting on the written offer. So she's done the verbal acceptance and everything like that. And 
while she's waiting, she's starting to panic, right? Because it's been a couple days. And I'm like, you always got to give more time. You got to give a week. Patience is important. Um, companies are slow. <laughs> and and as she's waiting, she's like, should I go on this other interview I have? I kind of just want to skip it. And in my mind, I'm like, you got to take every interview. You got to practice. You never want to lose this skill, right? Or you always want to be developing your skills, keeping your options open. What if they pull the offer like you've experienced in the past too? And one of the things that she said to me, she's like, when does it end? Like, when does this just end? And we had a really good laugh about it because the answer is, well, when you die, like, <laughs> it's like this process doesn't end. So we need to make it something that doesn't trigger our fear response. We need to make it something that's easy for us to do. We have to find our way of, of, approaching this that's comfortable because otherwise we're not going to, it's going to be just so painful. If the only reason you're applying to jobs or networking or doing things is because someone told you you should do it, it's a struggle. But if you're actually interested in psychedelics, reaching out to those people with genuine curiosity is going to be a much easier thing. And this is going to be a crass thing to say. So apologies in advance, but like we have to make it as routine as taking a shit. Like we have to make this stuff normal in our lives. We have to make our career less of a, less of a thing. It's like, I, I feel like a lot of times when we do this self-exploration, we almost put it on too much of a pedestal. We put companies on too much of a pedestal. We, we put too much expectation on everything. When in reality, it's like, it's a game. It's just a game. And we're learning the rules. And once you get good at the rules, you can just play it the way you would like, I don't know, uh, candy crush on your phone. Like that's the hope I would assume. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on it? I mean, companies exist because they want to sell things and people want to buy things and they need people to work so that they can do all that. It is very much a game related to you know, consumerism and sometimes impact, but even impact, right, creates money. So even if you're working for a good cause, you're doing it because someone's paying you to do it in some way, shape or form. We, we were talking before we started recording about levers, like turning on or like the faucets. So I personally, I've always had multiple faucets of income in my life. If something is not working as well as I want it to, I turn on another faucet. Or if one faucet stops working, I have two more going at the same time. And the, your career, right, if you want to help with the fear that you feel or the, the amount that you feel uh, like a company has power over you, you need to have multiple faucets. And a faucet doesn't have to be an income stream. A faucet can be relationships in an industry that you're interested in working in. And so does it ever stop? No. Can we make it easier for ourselves by doing the work ahead of time? Yes. So that means have your resume ready. Be, have your LinkedIn profile ready, build connections and relationships, and be involved in the industry that you like working in, right? Be someone that also people enjoy being around, which can go a very long way. Um, so have those faucets running, or at least have them there as an option, because it does never end. A company can literally wake up tomorrow and we're seeing this everywhere, say, you know what, we're just going to cut 5% of our workforce. Well, why? Well, because this other company did it. And so instead of actually cutting costs, we're just going to cut some people. This actually is happening. And it's just a, it's a product of the environment that we live in. It's 
literally just like the season, the changing of the seasons outside. Companies are going to cut people. They're going to do good. They're going to lose money. And you can prepare yourself for it so that you're not living in a place of fear. You're actually are very confident that you're going to be able to withstand the changing seasons. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one calls with Coach Marty every month, weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. And this brings us right back to acceptance and layoffs because yeah, we... It's like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you you got us there. Um, the This idea of acceptance, I think people struggle with because they feel like if they accept a situation then they can't change it or they're like accepting abuse or something like that. And obviously if you're in an abusive situation, you got to get out. Like that's, that's a, a really important thing. I would never recommend someone stay in a truly toxic environment, but a lot of things in the world that, I mean, we're hearing this more and more where people are like, this place is toxic. It's like, are they toxic or are they just kind of shitty? You know, are they really a toxic company or is it just not a great manager? You know, and this is even something I've been guilty on early in my career where I'm like, you know, I have to get out of here. And I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I was more resilient back then. Like, I wish I had just like a little bit more emotional regulation so that I could have withstood some of these things that are not in the grand scheme of things as important as I thought they were early on in my career. And I find so often when I'm talking to people, they're putting a lot of importance on the wrong things. Um, And maybe this is even fueled by our industry where we're like, find your passion and dream job and all this stuff. It's like, you know, the same person that I was talking to who accepted that offer, um, you know, we were chatting about this, when does it end thing? And I go, look, you know yourself. We've been working together for a while. You will eventually, probably three months, six months, 12 months in, get bored with this job or be asked to do something you don't want to do, or you'll find out that it's not quite what they promised. And you're not going to want to work there. Like this is just human nature where we get bored, we adjust, we want more challenges, we want change. And whether or not they change the role or you want to change the role or there's a shiny new object in the future or whatever it is, we will become dissatisfied very often. And knowing that that's going to happen, knowing that companies and jobs and all these things do not remain statically perfect forever, right? And this is something in relationships too. It's like, you have to know that your relationship at some point, you're going to be upset with that person. You're going to fight. You're going to be annoyed with that person. You're going to be too comfortable with that person. You're Whatever the thing is, you have to know that these things are going to happen so that they're 
not as surprising. So you can be prepared. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've never been with someone for 50 years, but I'm sure being with someone for 50 years is very different than being with someone for a few months. And I mean, that's the most obvious thing I've ever said in my life. But my point being is like, we have to know that there are cycles and that they're one of the, you know, beauties of being be beautiful things about being human is that we do adjust to things. We adjust to negative things. We adjust to positive things. We are adaptable creatures, but that also means that we'll never just get a job and be done. We'll never just be satisfied. We'll always want a little bit more, a little bit different or a little bit something. And being able to accept that about ourselves, accept that every company is going to suck somehow. Like my, I, I use this example all the time, but I always love it when someone's like, I would just kill to work at Google. If I don't work at Google, my career is over. The next call I get on is someone working at Google going, I can't wait to get out of this company. I'm so tired of this yeah. place. And it's this grass is always greener perspective or whatever it might be. Or, you know, in the world right now, there's a million layoffs going on and everyone's so scared and, you know, rightfully so. I was one of one of my classmates last night was talking about how they've they thought they were getting fired six different times in the past week because their company keeps like setting up these weird meetings. And then they're like, no, actually, that's not what it was. It's this thing. And then there were layoffs, but it was a different part of the company. But then. They, another meeting got put on their calendar and like, well, I'm definitely getting laid off tomorrow. It's like, no, actually, uh, your your boss is just moving to a different team. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, this this stress, this anxiety, this fear. We almost need to accept that that's a part of it, too. We have to accept the fact that, like, we're going to be. We're going to have periods in our career where we're really comfortable and confident. We're going to have periods in our career where it all feels like it's falling apart and that's still part of it. Um, these executives still feel, you know, envy towards CEOs. These <laughs> CEOs feel envy about other CEOs, you know, and and it's all just part of it. And when it comes to that acceptance piece, again, I think what people struggle with is they go, well, if I accept it, then my life is just that forever. And it's like, well, that's not true either. Like nothing is anything forever. Everything is constantly changing. And so you can accept things and still work on them. You can accept things and still try and change. You can accept things and use that as a motivator versus a demotivator, which I think a lot of people think it might be. How have you seen acceptance in your own career, maybe, or in your own abilities? How have you practiced uh, acceptance in order to fuel your growth and your progress? And the reason why I brought up the faucets a second ago was because the faucets lend itself to confidence that everything's going to be okay. And anyone listening, everything's going to be okay. And if you lose your job, you'll find another job. And you know what? If you're not finding another job, there are career coaches to help you find another job. Or you are, there are friends, or there are friends of friends, or there are other places that are willing to hire you to give you a paycheck, no matter what your skills are. It may not be exactly what you want at the time, but you will be okay. You will be able to survive if you choose to, if you choose to put in the effort to make that happen. So acceptance is really, I am a working professional, or I am someone that can work, and I am going to be okay. And there are things we can do to help ourselves feel okay, such as save a bunch of money, build a relation, build relationships and network, 
or go to, you know, get certain credentials or have certain experiences in, in our professional life to make us more employable. But overall, everything's going to be okay. And so for me personally, when it comes to acceptance, it's I've proven if it's standing on a street corner, handing out granola bars, if it's running around Chicago dressed as a zombie to promote a movie, if it's standing, if it's standing and getting plaster poured onto me so I could be a mannequin in a civil war museum in Kenosha, I've proven to myself that I can make money. I can be okay. And that level of confidence when it comes to your career into doing things that you enjoy is really the solution. I love that. And I also love the fact that you and I have both been dressed as zombies to promote movies in our careers. That's such a wild thing. Which one? Which one? Um, I did 28 weeks later. I think that was the movie I was Wait, promoting. Where it was was it in Chicago? Yeah. Did, no did way. Did you have a bunch of little nurses with a little chain around your neck walk you around the city of Chicago, like Lincoln Park and like different bars and stuff? We didn't go to bars. I did I did it at um, a theater where I was in a hazmat suit. And then I also did a uh, Valentine's oh. Day zombie thing. Um, this is amazing. I, that's wild if we were both involved in the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I got to find a photo. I'm going to share it with you. So neat. Oh, so cool. Oh, that's too funny. Well, and again, I think that plays into this. Like when I talk to people, they're like, well, I don't want to take this job because X, Y, Z in the future. You don't know the future, right? We have to be willing to take that mediocre stepping stone to get to the next thing. You don't have to have everything be like the the, the full. And that's maybe separating your identity from work a little bit. Like I'm not... I don't work in movie promotions anymore, but what an experience that was, right? To be a zombie on Valentine's Day scaring people. Like it, these things are so, our lives are so much more malleable than we think. And if if you do take a pay cut, reduce your lifestyle. Like that, I don't know, there's just so much that we can do. And I mean, obviously there's family limitations if you have kids and all these different things, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, man, it's, I, I love what you're saying there. It's like, I'm a working professional and I'm going to be okay, not because everything just magically works out, but because I'm going to make it okay. And I think that that level of confidence is what helps people overcome that fear. It's the fear is that it's a really a fear of not being in control. And to be fair, mm -hmm. your career makes you feel very much not in control a lot of the time. But speaking to everything you've talked about today with, with the faucets and, and with the mindsets, you have a lot more control than I think people maybe realize. If you just create it. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. Create that control. And because the, the, the feeling that you won't be okay, I think is actually at the cause of a lot of a lot of the fear that we've been discussing today that your organization is not there to make sure that you feel okay. Yeah. It's so important to remember that because I do think that a lot of people look at a job as their security. This job gives me security versus I give myself safety and security. Um, if there was one thing someone could do to begin working on their values or self-acceptance or ability to trust themselves. Maybe we can lean into that at the end of the episode here. 
Um, what is something someone can do to begin flexing that muscle and building that trust that they're able to make sure that their life is okay? You go back and take a look at your story. So map out the different positions that you've had in your career, the different strengths that you've developed from it, the things that you learned, the projects that you work on, the relationships that you've built, and just get a good understanding of everything that you've done. And then take a look at that and go, what do I want to do next? How does what I've done apply to that? How can I leverage these strengths? Why am I credible? Improve to yourself. Like sit down, almost imagine that you're in an interview and someone's asking you like, why should we hire you? Answer that question as if you are the most confident person in the room that knows that you deserve that job. Then take that story with you moving forwards. And that is a really good place for you to start because it's going to give you a little bit of belief and a little bit of motivation and next steps. I love it. And if anyone's struggling, how can they follow your work and see what you're doing and uh, stay connected with what you've got going on? Yeah, thank you. So you can go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com or add me on LinkedIn. Tell me that you heard me on this podcast and uh, what your favorite zombie movie is. <laughs> and let's start, let's, let's get the conversation going. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.